Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Spiritual Nomad Podcast. I am excited to have my friend Corey Bruins on the show today. We talk about his story about how he came to know uh, Jesus through a youth group event, uh, an attractional youth group event at that, and how eventually he ended up going on staff at a church, doing a lot of production-oriented sort of things, um, really taking a church from a really traditional model to a uh, modern, non-denominational, attractional model of church, and a little bit of the things that accompany that transition, and ultimately how he ends up coming to the end of that season of his life and being more aware of a more missional or incarnational model of living in church and as he steps away from the attractional church and into an embracing of a community uh, where he lives in Ocean Beach. So Ocean Beach is an awesome little town. We actually recorded this in the Spiritual Journey Center that is right there on Newport Avenue, right downtown. And uh, Corey serves on the town council there. He uh, does a lot of things in the city. He's very engaged. And he's just an all-around great dude. Uh, So I'm super excited to have him on and have you included in this conversation with us. Uh, You know, he's going to be on a future episode as well where we talk about the Enneagram. And I'm really excited about that. Corey knows a lot about the Enneagram. And I love the Enneagram. And so that is an excellent episode for another time. But for this conversation, we talk about some similar church experience, you know, in the megachurch attractional world. Uh, Also some convictions that we share as we reimagine church together. Uh, So I think that you're really going to love it. As a matter of fact, I know that you're going to love the conversation that we have. And as we look at what it means to reimagine God and the church and what it looks like to just sift through our own stories and uh, experiences. So we want to embrace what it looks like as a collective people seeking truth. And so Corey, I really think, embodies that a lot. He really uh, has a good grasp on what it means to to do that in a city together. And his story is a great backdrop that really sets up for for where he's at now. So lastly, after the show, I would love if you would just leave us a rating, just real briefly, maybe even a review, maybe even share this podcast with a friend on a social media site. Uh, We would love to get connected with you. We would love to serve you better. I would love to hear some comments about if any of this is connected with you in any way, better yet, reframe some of uh, your thinking. So I would love to hear back from you. So after the show's over, would love to have you just drop in and do that. Also too, uh, my name is Luke Bricker and I would love to engage with you on social media. So if you want to add me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram, Luke underscore Bricker. Just want to connect with you in that way as well. So I appreciate you and I encourage you as you pursue the spiritual nomad life. Enjoy this conversation with my friend Corey. You know, getting to know you, like I said, and just hanging out with you guys down here in Ocean Beach yeah. has been um, really freeing for me in a lot of ways and feeling like I'm not alone uh, in a lot of regards. And so uh, I thought it'd be cool to have you on and, and talk about some stuff. So Awesome. So basically, yeah, man, welcome to the Spiritual Nomad podcast. So I'm uh, down here in Ocean Beach, hanging out with my friend Corey, and uh, it's a beautiful day in February. Corey's wearing flip-flops, so always. if anybody's listening from anywhere else but Southern California in the States right now, you can be nice and jealous. Uh, so Corey and I, we've been hanging out for a little bit, and uh, you know, as I was just saying, you know, we uh, uh, as we've been hanging out, I feel like I've really gotten to know a tribe of people that I really resonate with and connect with and 
uh, people speaking some similar language finally. You know, I feel like I've been Mm -hmm. on an island for a while, and that's kind of the premise of the podcast, too. I feel like as I have more conversations with people, spiritually speaking, they're kind of on islands. And some people are okay with that. Some people, maybe not so much, but, um, you know, Corey, you've been on staff at a church before, and uh, I think there's a lot of people even in the church world uh, that are spiritual nomads. And so that's kind of been a lot of the thing, too, that I've been, you know, uh, thinking about lately and thinking about particular names and faces whenever I think about this. So it's not just Mm. for people that I think are outside of the church trying to either live incarnationally or people that are just kind of rogue doing their own thing. I think people are still part of institutions that feel really disconnected still, too, you know, so... Um, so I just wanted to have you on Corey and talk about some stuff and totally. hopefully get around to some Enneagram things and, uh, just kind of what's happening here in Ocean Beach and what I think we could all learn from, um, you know, doing life in a, a little bit more intentional way. So, um, we have some mutual friends and, uh, yeah, some stuff. So, so yeah, so kind of what's your background too, I guess I don't even, we just started talking originally just right off the bat about talking shop stuff so i don't even know a lot of your background you know yeah so yeah i grew up in north county san diego so about 40 minutes north of like the main city area in mostly white suburbs um so by me uh, uh, yeah by where you are now totally the city city right next door to san marcos um and I, i grew up in a home where we didn't go to church we went to church on easter and christmas uh, some of my first contacts with what church was like was going to a friend's VBS when I was like six or seven and then <laughs> being invited to youth group once or twice in junior high. And then eventually I landed at a church in Vista when I was a freshman in high school uh, <clears throat> at like a, a high school outreach event that was kind of structured like SNL with funny videos and music and an emotional altar call where they told you that the <laughs> angels are having a party in heaven as soon as you raise your hand. Yeah, man. Which, Everybody claps. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's that emotion, you know, they say like, oh, okay, well, if it was your friend who had their hand raised, go find them and talk to them. It's such a special night. Yeah. And, uh, not to say that, that starting a relationship or a path of walking with the living God is not a special thing, but right. um, yeah, so I, I don't know when I quote unquote got saved, so to speak, but it was one of the first times that I started going to this church, um, to the high school youth group. And I, I don't know if... I don't know where to like put that line of salvation. I don't even know if that's an interesting question to ask. Mm. But my, when I reflect on it, my initial experience with church, I definitely was buying into a social scene. I was Mm. super interested in having friends. There were people there who seemed cool. Um, They had a coffee shop. I thought that was great. I'm like, I'm 13, and there's like this cool coffee (laughs) shop to go to. Who has Uh, that idea to give coffee to teenagers? And I was a youth pastor, and I never, never crossed my mind. (laughs) Super smart, you know, well grounded, of course. It's the name of the coffee shop. Um, (laughs) Are you serious? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so that was kind of how I started, and I'm kind of the person go big or go home. You know, I dive into things 100, percent or I kind of taste them a little bit, and then I'm out. And I got into this church thing and I was like, this is sweet. Like, I love this. These are people who like believe in something bigger than them. Than I think I was able to to get that far as a 13 year old. Like it made sense to me. The idea of God made sense to me in such a mm. way that I was like, I've got a bunch, the way I always describe it is like, I've got a bunch of eggs that are my life and I can choose to put them in a basket. And if you're choosing to not, you know, if you're abstaining in the world, maybe of agnosticism, 
you're still putting them in a basket, whether you like to or not, right? Mm-hmm. You're putting them in the yeah. basket of agnosticism or, you know, atheism or whatever it may be. And I was like, well, it makes sense to me. Like, put my eggs in the basket of something that's bigger than me that could provide an afterlife. Hmm. Um, I had no idea what it meant. I still don't know what it means to truly follow Jesus. But hmm. at the point that I rose my hand, um, I, I was nowhere near. I had no idea what was to come in hmm. my journey. Um, what it looked like in my high school years was serving in junior high ministry and helping to lead worship and put that stuff together. I graduated high school a year early, came on staff at the church immediately after that at the age of 17. Really? Um, started out by just making videos and kind of doing the multimedia jazz and graphics and things like that. Uh, by the time I left, about five years later, I was the director of production and communications for all of our services at the church. Small-ish church, about 600 people. Yeah. Um, it was so fun. My years on staff were amazing. I mean, I was basically given a blank slate of 600 people that are going to show up every Sunday and see my art, yeah. basically, right, um, right, at 19, which what 19-year-old creative is going to say no to that right. for, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the coolest thing about it is it engaged all of the different things I love. I mean, I love working with my hands and building. I love the tech side of creation and communication from videos and graphics. I love writing. Um, I love all of that stuff. And it was all comprised in, in my job. And my job yeah. was create an experience for people showing up a Sunday, on a Sunday morning from the time they pull into the parking lot to the time they leave. Yeah. Which is so multidimensional that it just engaged my whole being. Mm. Um, and I got lost in it in such a way that I, I was immersed in what it meant to create a weekend experience for people. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. And I was doing it with friends and people who I considered family and a really rad team. And I think we kicked ass. Yeah. Um, it was so much fun. Right. The other part of that is that part of the bigger vision of the church was that there was the component of community and the component of service as, you know, most evangelical churches have some model of mm-hmm. services, serving, and community. Yeah. Usually something like that. Sure. Um, and we did, and that sounded good to me. I mean, I, I'm not a theologian. I never went to seminary. Like, I, I didn't dive into what it really meant to be the church. Mm. All I ever knew as far as church goes was this particular church. Yeah. Like, this is where I came into the faith. Creating an experience at a location. I mean, that's what you even yeah. brought you in in the first place. So it, it is. Exactly. It was an experience that brought me in. And I, I engaged with it. I mean, it was a culturally relevant experience that met me right where I was. And it was partnered with... Uh, you know, an altar call of sorts. Like, hey, this is the God we serve, believe in it. It, it makes sense. I'm not mad at people who do things that way. I mean, right. I think that it's, it does it does make sense in a lot of ways. Um, so for a while, like that was, that was what life looked like. And my whole life was wrapped up in it. Mm-hmm. Every Everything about it, you know, my work, where I was earning money, what my friends looked like. I, I basically never left my office at the church. Yeah. And most of the time just slept on the couch in there. It was super comfortable and I kind of miss it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would install little carnival games in my office, you know, like the ring thing and we go play ping pong. I don't know. Like it was. Yeah. I was at my friend's church office yesterday and he totally has a, a putting green in his office. That's great. And he's just like hanging out, you know. <laughs> 
It's it's so good. And I mean, and honestly, and that that time was also partnered with my passion for specifically guys in the like 15 to 20 year old range. I I think that that's such a formative range, and I think that we can make a lot of change in in culture and in society by investing in that age group. Yeah. Um. And I got to do that, you know, through my position on on staff at the church as well, and it gave me a little bit of permission and a, a foundation through which to disciple some dudes, which were some of my greatest memories of that time. Hmm. Um, so as time went on, looking at this three-pronged vision, we called it No Grow Show. Know the services, grow the community groups, and show the serving aspect. Um, I sometimes would stand in the corner of the auditorium. We, we stripped all of the religious names from everything, you know, so it wasn't called right. a bulletin anymore. It's just called like a folder. Dude, that's exactly... Not, not a sanctuary, an auditorium. Right. You know, And I pioneered these changes. I was like, yeah, yeah this makes sense. We're going to make this as vanilla as possible so that yes. people don't see God anywhere. Um, <laughs> right. we, took, we took the cross down off the back. We, we were a church that's old, consists of a lot of older people, rich history, started in the late 20s and was the first church in North County, San Diego. Really? Super rad building and really rich, amazing history. Um, but it's one of those churches where the older folks pay the bills mm. and the younger folks come experience the show yeah. kind of thing. So we had a first service that was mostly older folks, a second service that was contemporary. Um, this cross that was on the wall, we wanted to project images there to make it cooler. Um, and so I went up to go see what would it be like to take the cross down and I lift it up. It's made out of foam <laughs> and I can literally lift it like with a finger. Really? I'm like, this is sweet. This cross is like, it's foam. It's painted foam. So we would leave the, fo- the foam cross up for first service for the old people. <laughs> and then, you know, one of my crew members would go cruise by and take it down and just put it in the back room for second nice. service. Oh, uh, it was so funny. <laughs> we got rid of the pews and put chairs in. People left the church over that. You know, like that was really? that was the story of my time on staff. We called, there's a book called The, the Sacred Art of Cow Tipping. Yeah. And it's the story of a pastor inheriting a really old church and what it was like to modernize the church mm. in terms of, Things like pews and taking down religious symbols and stuff like that, which when you're in it and your goal is to make an experience for people that's culturally relevant, all of that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you want things that are going to get in the way of people's experience? If they're having religious symbols hammered into their brain the second they're walking in the door, that could get in the way of somebody's great gospel message. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Um, these days, I'm in a paradigm that doesn't even acknowledge that way of doing life and church as far as but attractional goes you mean as far as attractional goes okay. so it's it's funny to talk about now because yeah. i kind of say those things like oh we took the cross down with a little bit of disdain but in the time that we did it right it made a lot of sense in that context the decisions we were making how do you think that affected the people coming like obviously the older people probably were not down with that as much did you really see a uh, the new people engaging and encountering more did you see more new people coming to the church and I'm, I'm sure you being over that, you would hope to think that that was part of them staying, you know, because of that. I mean, yeah. I'm just curious here because same thing for us. My dad, I mean, I grew up uh, in the church, but my dad's always been a part of the, if you will, uh, for lack of a better term, seeker sensitive movement, you know, for right. all the time, you know. So he left traditional church in the 80s and has never went back since. So I've only grown up in that sort of attractional model like that. So I've not seen what it's like to actively be in the transition of that and how that translates to the people that are there, to the new people, you know, that's yeah, just, yeah. 
it was always my paradigm was just screens and the whole nine yards. Yeah, so. that's a really great question. I, I'm, I feel very lucky to have been a part of that congregation and on staff in that world on both sides of that coin because I think it really inf- helps to inform the way that I engage um, the attractional programmatic church today. And to specifically answer your question, did we see that the changes that we were hoping to see based on those right. um, those kind of shifts? Hard to say. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to measure that. You know, the metrics that we have to look at are attendance and giving. <laughs> and unfortunately. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what happened, not I think, I know what happened is as we we're making these changes, we definitely saw an increase in attendance. People were really excited. We were producing a lot of engaging programs and services on the weekends and uh, marriage retreats and all sorts of things that were really great. We did see our attendance grow. And then at a certain point, it kind of tabletopped and just evened out. And for about a year, um, it was kind of just hovering around one line as far as the attendance goes. Our giving stayed pretty much the same, but it was honestly the older folks who weren't really engaged in all this new stuff we were doing who Mm. were continuing to pay the bills. Right. so we did see, I think, in the beginning, we saw we achieved the goals we we're hoping to achieve, which was we're going to bring more people here. We're going to serve more people. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that's a a good thing to do <laughs> within right. your context is to serve more people. I mean, mm-hmm. that's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but then once it started to even out and our attendance kind of tabletopped, the questions were starting to come up in meetings. Why aren't we growing? Mm-hmm. And... This is when I started these these conversations about why aren't we growing more is really what started to kind of put a twitch in my brain hmm. about whether these were the right questions to be asking. Hmm. And I recall a specific conversation in the car of my lead pastor who I'm was have been great friends with throughout this whole process. He was my youth pastor when I came to know Jesus in high school and became the lead pastor. So good friends with this dude. Um, we were in the car driving back from one of our executive team meetings and he turned to me and he said, Corey, I just don't understand it. We have all of the right ingredients. We have great preaching and he was the preacher. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess he can say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have great music. We had recently hired a new worship leader who was putting together an awesome band and saying no to the people who suck at instruments and singing and yes to the people who are good at it. Yeah, yeah. That way we can, you know, be relevant. Um, we had great services. The experience was great. I mean, on a Sunday, if it was raining, like the one Sunday a year that it rains in California when <laughs> yeah. people don't know what to do, uh, <clears throat> we would send like our guest service team running out to the cars with umbrellas to walk people in. Like, I think we were really kicking ass at the service. And this, or my pastor was saying, why aren't we growing? Mm-hmm. Why, why is the attendance evened out? And... He was kind of saying this in a rhetorical way, yeah. but almost in like a, it's, it's your job to figure this out, Corey. You know, like you're a huge part of this conversation. Yeah. Um, and as soon as those, those statements kind of rolled off his tongue, I remember it clicking in my brain like, I don't feel like these are the right questions to be asking. Hmm. And that's all I had. I didn't have any more than that. I didn't know why I was feeling that way. I didn't know what to do with it. I had no response to his hopefully rhetorical question. Right. I just sat there. Like, it just didn't sit right with me. Like, the God that I was serving and the Jesus that I know and the stories that I read in scripture and what I think it means to be a quote unquote Christian didn't sit well with that question mm-hmm. of why aren't we growing? Yeah. Um, 
So for the next year, I wrestled with this kind of behind the scenes, mostly by myself. Um, and at the same time, you know, I was in my fourth year on staff and having some growing pains in terms of restructuring and what that was to look like. And there were a lot of conversations about what, what it was going to look like for me to continue in ministry. And if mm. had I chosen to, I would have been able to. And then at a certain point for me, it was like, I just got to go. And I didn't know whether if there were challenges in my position on staff that God wanted me to push through for the sake of ministry, I didn't want to run from those. Yeah. So I was having a hard time discerning, do I feel like I need to leave the church because I don't want to deal with these like staff issues? Or do I feel like I need to leave the church because my heart is not in line with the way we're executing our mission? Yeah. Um, so I, for a year, paddled back and forth on that. And it was a conversation in the parking lot of the church late at night with a friend where she kind of said, you know what you need to do. Mm. And I did. So the next day I resigned. Um, I gave him two and a half months notice, which put me through to the end of the year and executed the big Christmas Eve. Right. La 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 with snow and lights and Santa and reindeers. Um, <laughs> And uh, it's not Christmas without it, right? It's not. So even in Jesus land. So. Even in Jesus land, especially in Jesus land. Right. Um, so did that. That was my big hoorah. And, and then I was done. That was the end of my, my career in ministry. And at that point. Um, How old were you at this point? I was 21. Okay. Um, and at that point, I coincidentally, that Christmas, my parents separated that mm. same time. Uh, I left the church. I was left with a blank slate at 21 years old. I was, <laughs> it, 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 it wasn't, didn't feel as dramatic as I'm making it sound, but in retrospect, it kind of was. Yeah. Because when I reflect on that time, it's like, you know, it, that's one of those things where the Sunday services had lost meaning for me. Mm. So there's really wasn't really any point in me continuing to go to Sundays. I, I had a good relationship with everyone still, and I left on great terms, but I just didn't feel a need to, like, show yeah. up at that church building on Sundays. So what, I mean, why? Like, just because of you kind of knew the back end of what the true goal was of it, or I don't know. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean... Because I think a lot of people are in your position. They're 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 asking the same questions, and yeah. you know they don't maybe have not been on staff and don't know some of those inside things. Yeah, but, you know. Well, I, I mean, I think maybe a good way to answer answer to that is uh, that the year after I left the church, so to speak, um, I showed up back on a Sunday twice, two times, um, and both times I would sit in the upper left corner of the auditorium which is the same place where I would usually take attendance mm. on Sundays and count. <laughs> so I knew where I could see the most people. And what I was watching when I went back that next year was not what was going on on the stage. I was watching what was going on in the seats. Hmm. And I was just really interested in these people. And in the course of almost 10 years at this church in total, you know, you know, you get to know these people, even though there are hundreds of them, you know their stories and you read their prayer requests in staff meetings. And mm -hmm. I look out at these faces, most of them I know, and I would look and I just go, these people are showing up on Sunday and they're not doing anything else. Mm. And that was so sad. And I was really hoping that when I when I left the church that, um, you know, they would bring somebody on and replace me that would kind of take it in a different direction, spruce it up. Not that I didn't think that what I had created was great, but I just 
I wanted more for the congregation. I wanted, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be different. And maybe it's prideful to think that I was such a linchpin that I would come out and they would need to change it. Mm. Um, but I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a compliment to come back and see that they're doing it the exact same way that you had set it up. Yeah. Um, at but, the same token, though, the the engagement that you were creating the experience for wasn't really there. Well, and that's the thing is I, I <laughs> the way I used to describe it is I was like a serial killer gone FBI agent. You know what I mean? Where it's like the other side of the coin where now you're back in a whole new set of glasses and like seeing it in such a different way. Like, I don't believe in this thing that I built, mm. that I helped to build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I battled with that for a long time. Mm. What, how did, how does one engage that having been on staff and mm. with so many of my friends and, and family at this church still attending so confused about my decision to leave mm. so confused. And, and I'm was still so confused and there, I've had such a hard time having those conversations of like, why would you leave? Like, this is your family. These are your people. Like, we need you. Mm. Um, ah, you know, like, right. <laughs> no real way to process that through with people right. with, uh, without having a lot of anger. Yeah. You know, and I didn't want to tell people that I thought what they were doing was wrong, even though I did. Mm. And I was having a hard time seeing how God would redeem attractional churches. I yeah. was just like, these people are effed up. Right. Yeah. Like, and it, whose fault is it? I mean, I dealt with that question for a long time. Whose fault is it? Mm. Is it the fault of the practitioner, the people who are like executing it? Is it the fault of the attender for not like knowing and seeing that maybe there's a better way? Is it the fault of the elder board for setting the course of the mission of this particular congregation in X direction? Whose fault is it? I mean, and these are questions that I dealt with for a long time because I wanted to point the finger at someone. I wanted, I continued to care for that congregation after leaving for many years and still do to a certain extent. Um, I mean, I, I battled back and forth in my head about like, should I show up in an elder meeting and just like light them up yeah. and be like, you guys, can't you see that there's a better way? Um, and so through that, if there is a better way, you began to have some different convictions, obviously. And yeah. so how did those convictions begin to become reality for you? Yep. To be able to feel like you had a place to say there is a better way. And maybe you didn't know at that point what the better way was. Yeah. I mean, it, I might be speaking for you, but I think you found now in life, there's there's a pretty awesome way of yeah. how you do life and spirituality. But so yeah. at that point in time, I mean, were you wrestling through it? Did you begin to already live a different you know, life as far as your spiritual journey goes? No pun intended, being in the spiritual journey center. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of my the the milestone that i see as a transition kind of toward the direction of faith expression that i'm engaged in now uh i was actually still on staff at the church i don't remember if it was before or after i resigned even um but i watched it's like an eight or nine minute video that the soma communities in tacoma washington put out and it it's just kind of one of those feel-good videos that kind of demonstrates what their community is like I had never seen anything like that before. Yeah. To see that people were calling this home fellowship church um, was new to me hmm. and so interesting. And I I didn't want to, as a reaction, I didn't want to sit, reject the programmatic church and just go with the next best thing. Like, hmm. 
I, I feel like a lot of people kind of did that. You well, know? A lot of yeah, and people are in it the was midst the next of attractional doing that. thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, it was. I mean, and, and there's so many subsections of the movement of small congregations based loosely out of homes. Right. I mean, you have house churches, which are entirely different from missional communities. I feel like the word, the buzzword of missional community is just ruined yeah. these days because churches are calling their community groups missional communities when they're not. <laughs> I know. Um, like, just so they can be... Yeah, because it's the cool thing. Yes. Yeah. But, but it's not what it is at all. It's just a life group or yeah, a small group yeah. still, you know? <laughs> well, and you know, I'm not mad anymore. Like, all I want, I just think, oh, honey, like... You just, you're going to have to completely leave your paradigm behind if you really want to engage in a new way of doing faith. And um, it's all good, you know? <laughs> if, if any good can come out of the attractional programmatic church doing things like switching up the way that they organize their community groups, that's great. Um, the, my old church that I was on staff at recently decided to organize by neighborhood communities. That's cool. No. They have people that commute in. We used to be so proud. People that commute in from, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, these days, I just think that's Do We want to be a regional church. We're regional. That's, yeah. that's what the word is, yeah. right? Anyway, um, so the, watching that Soma video was kind of my first light bulb moment of, like, there's a different way to do this. And then I started researching it after I, um, after I left my old congregation. Uh, and I wound up in a kind of budding missional community in Carlsbad um, and met with the guy who was starting that who had a similar story was an associate pastor at a programmatic attractional church was thinking there's a better way kind of found this movement through the Soma dudes mm -hmm. and launched a missional community in Carlsbad and um, I really connected with him and his story and their people and for about six months, I was engaging in that and intentionally not choosing to step up into leadership positions or take on any responsibilities because mm. I just needed to have some catharsis for a while yeah. and um, breathe. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to dive into anything seriously without kind of tasting it first. Mm. That movement was so new to me. Um, for the next couple of years, I wound up bouncing around and moving all over Southern California every couple months, and I I was lost. I had no idea what my identity was. I I didn't know what to do. Um, I stopped going to college in the middle of my time at church because I had to devote more time to ministry, and that was like a decision I had to make. Mm. So I'm without left without a degree, um, left with lots and lots of experience in all sorts of areas yeah. at the church. Um, oh yeah, you learn a lot. You, know? you do a lot, but that's so hard to translate to the real world, as you know, and people Absolutely. don't understand. You can't put youth pastor down and have someone know all of the things that youth pastor entails. Oh, I they mean, think I'm a, a teenage babysitter. Yeah, you know? great. Or even you know my to... schooling, they're like, uh, advanced biblical leadership? What What sort of, you know? What does that even the mean? Like, I'm like, yeah. uh, just focus on the leadership part for a minute, you know? Like, it, that's the only, like... Yeah way I have for people to recognize my quote degree, you know? <laughs> and it sucks to have to like translate that for people. It's, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. And they're just like, oh, that's cute. You know, yes. you're a church boy. Um, <laughs> I just want to scream. I'm so far from a church boy, you know, yeah. like I, I'm, I'm really not like, um, but I did find that over the next number of years, I was able to learn things about myself in terms of what it meant what it what it means to work and make money mm. uh and how to position that in light of 
other things like community. And then on the community side, for the next couple of years, I as I moved around SoCal up to the mountains for a while, working at a resident camp up to Orange County, kind of by Disneyland, uh, for about a year, I was working for a nonprofit there and um, just did all sorts of things. I was just running from community in essence mm. and not on purpose. Um, but I, I kind of made this deal with God where I was like, look, I see you setting this style for community on my heart, this way to express my faith. And I'm not going to lead it. I'm not going to start one. I'm not going to plant a church. I'm not doing it. You're going to give it to me. Um, I did my work for like 10 years. And now it's your turn, God, to show up and provide a community for me to to plant into. Hmm. Um, so I would interview pastors. They didn't know they were being interviewed. I would just email them and ask to get coffee and leave it as vague as possible. Right. Give them no, absolutely no idea of my background because I didn't want them to have preconceived notions about our conversation. I mm. just wanted them to think I found their church online and that I wanted to chat with them, which is exactly what it was. The amount of times that the first or second thing that a pastor would come out of their mouth and tell me how many people go to their church was like 95% of the people that I met with. Really? And it was so hard because I'm like, I don't effing care how many people go to your church. Yeah. And it bothers me that it, I'm not mad at you, the pastor. I'm mad at the fact that the system has been created in yeah. such a way where the second you sit down with anybody, you feel like the first thing you need to say is show your cojones with Qualify what your attendance yourself. is like. Yeah. I'm, like. I'm not impressed. I don't care. Um, so that was hard. <laughs> it was a disheartening tour of meeting with pastors um, I was just praying and hoping that I would find a pastor out there who got it, you know, or, or somebody who was on the road to getting it, whatever I thought getting it was at the time. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty proud thing to do, I suppose. Go around and think you have the answer and then like fake people into meetings to test <laughs> them to see if they have it. It's kind of an asshole move. Well, I, and <laughs> honestly, my wife and I are in the same boat in a lot of ways. We feel like you know, we're, we're plugged into a church right now, but even at that, um, there's so many things I, I have, we have to actively look at, well, where can we build bridges? Because if not, it's so easy to, you know, yeah. say, I don't know about this and that. And, and we have to check ourselves. Like, are we being arrogant thinking mm -hmm. that like we got it all figured out, you yeah. know? And, but I do the same thing. I get together with people and it's similar. It's like, is there anybody out there that's like, thinking about things in the same way that I am or is there like I came out here to plant a church and I started to do that and I felt really not right about my convictions <laughs> and all of those yeah. things and it's like then I find you guys thank god you know but it's like it, it's difficult when you're looking for people and you're looking for some verbiage and some actions that might mm -hmm. be similar and it's it's really disheartening especially yeah. when you're in a place where you're kind of like really thirsty for someone mm -hmm. to get it that, that is maybe in a place of leadership you know what I'm saying? Right. It, typically, the people that you're communicating with, they're either not pastors anymore, not in the church anymore, in th the few pocket that is. And it's hard to find people that are still in that culture, in that community, working hard, that are living a very yeah. uh, uh, um, explorative life uh, yeah. in that regard. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, I do. It is. It's a rare. It's a rare find. Have you found anybody? Can I get him on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, man. There's a there is a a dude in town who in here in Ocean Beach who is the pastor of a 
um, one campus of a multi-site congregation where they have like five churches around San Diego. Is it Carter? Uh, yeah, Carter. Okay, he's um, on next week, so I'm excited. Oh, check it out. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. then I won't give away any more of his story. Okay. But, <laughs> but uh, he's super rad. And yeah. when I first moved to OB, I... Um, when I moved into this town about two years ago now, I didn't know anybody. And I remember walking out the front door of my house thinking, I so desperately desire to live incarnationally in this community, to not live above it, to live with people here, to care for this community, to pastor it, um, to be a spiritual care provider. I don't even have any friends. So where the hell do I begin? Yeah. Um, I remember in my mind thinking, do I just start knocking on doors? Like, I just don't have any tools for this. I don't know what the grid is. I'm used to sitting in a church building and waiting for people to invite their friends and they come shuffled in and that's how my brain works. Like, yeah. what do I do? Um, and a, a good friend and mentor of mine, Rob Yackley, who I started meeting with around that time and have since um, had, had a lot of engagement with him and his story, He's a really solid person in this movement. Gave me some advice, which was start getting involved with things in the community, anything in the community, whether it was just like playing sports, anything to connect me to people here, um, to find the people of peace, yeah. which I thought was a really good piece of advice. Like, who are the people that are already kind of contending for the town? Um, and that's that's the key to that was defining what people of peace means. And it doesn't necessarily mean just pastors. Hmm. Uh, and that was, that was huge. Um, and then to start praying and thinking about people who I wanted to invite into this way of life, whether that was people outside of the town or people inside the town or whatever it might be, like, you got to have some people to live in community. And yeah. uh, those are my pieces of homework. And as I went out into the town, I kind of hit that people of peace one. And I was like, I'm just going to start emailing people. I'm going to find the names of people that look like they're doing something and I'm going to sit down, grab a drink with them and hear some stories. It was amazing what mm. happened from that. I filled my calendar with maybe three or four people for two weeks. And as that went, the ball just kept rolling because every person that I met would give me the names of two or three more people. Mm. You know, I was that weirdo sitting at a beer with someone with my Evernote out. And every time they would drop somebody's name, I'd be like, hold on, I got to write that down. Do you have their email? <laughs> Do you have their phone number? Because... Where the heck do you start? Yeah. You know? And yeah. these days, about a year and a half later from the moment with my hands up in the air outside my house going, where do I begin? Things look a lot different and it's amazing what can happen if you just press into what you feel God's leading you into. One step at a time. One step at a time. And I think give yourself credit for every step you take, mm. every connection you make. Um, Carter was one of those people that I met with. Yeah. And I remember hearing his story and being encouraged on so many levels mm. the biggest one being that there was exactly as you just described somebody who gets this movement of living out our faith in a place um but who's also in like the programmatic attractional church staff pastor world yeah he's really got one foot in one foot out in the beginning i didn't know what to think about that mm. and i remember having that conversation with him of like i don't know yeah. I don't know if this movement allows you to be one right, foot right. in, one foot out. Um, and these days, thanks to so many rad people and conversations and um, the Spirit's involvement, my idea of what it looks like to express faith in place 
is so much more inclusive than it is exclusive. Yeah. And it's so much more permitting than it is judging. And mm. it's so much more about connecting people's movements of faith and their congregations and seeing that God is at work in all of it. Um, and that that's the most helpful way to view it. Yeah. Because if you view it that way, then you can continue to connect, connect, connect. And at that point, you're letting God do God's work. Mm. You know, you're just going around and saying yes to people and saying, yes, I'm here to support you. Yes, I'm here to partner with you. Where And, and the, you know, criticism towards that, someone might say, well, where do you, when do you say no? You know, mm. how do you draw the line? Where is the boundary? And for me, the boundary is town. So we've got 10,000 people in Ocean Beach, and I feel like it's my job to work for the people who are in this town, Yeah, which makes it really easy. Because if if there's a mission in this town that somebody's got going on and it, it's it's good for the people and it maybe it points back to God at some point, I'm, I want to be a part of it. Or I want to help out. I want to connect them with other people who are doing the same thing. Um, which I think helps focus a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, and know where the boundaries are and helps to create a world where you're not feeling like you need to solve the problems of the entire nation. Yeah. Um, so how did you, whenever you came into Ocean Beach, when was that? Because you were, you said you were bouncing around all over the place. And then, I guess before I even ask this next question, how did you even find yourself at Ocean Beach, you know? That's I mean, you question. didn't really know too many people here. You're from North County. I mean, yeah, it's a good question. You know, I guess that should be there before I say anything else. So. Um, so I was working at a summer camp up in the mountains of San Diego. And as the summer season declined, uh, one of my best friends was out in Australia. And so... I knew that I was going to be leaving the summer camp, coming down to the city somewhere, um, and you know, finding a job, and that was kind of kind of be the next the next set of things for me. But I wanted to go to Australia and visit my buddy, so booked some tickets out there for ten days and was interviewing at a lot of YMCA's. I thought I wanted to be like a career YMCA guy. YMCA is a fantastic organization mm-hmm. to work for, especially in San Diego. Um, was putting a lot of applications out there and stuff and getting some bites, but nothing substantial. And by the time I left for Australia, I didn't really have anything to come back to. I hadn't like established a place to live yet because I was waiting to see what the job situation was going to be. I wanted to live by whatever job. I was like, why am I coming home? I'm going to Australia and that's great. I want to be there for more than 10 days if I have no reason to come back. Um, so I decided to move to Australia mm. and got my visa and um, packed all my belongings up in a trailer and put the, aside the ones for Australia. I had a job offer at a YMCA in Australia. So like, this is going to be great. Everybody in my life was super supportive of that decision except mm. for my two best friends um, who were not supportive, which was very confusing to me. Mm. And the challenge was – I'm a very purpose-driven person, so I like to ask why like more times than is healthy and – yeah. get kind of obnoxious with the purpose behind things. Uh, so it's reasonable for people who are close to me to throw that back in my face yeah. and say, <laughs> why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, I think I'm a pretty good talker and I can talk myself out of most things or into most things. And I saw myself doing that. I saw myself coming up, kind of making up a reason in essence. And it was going to mm. be a reason that sounded really good. But I wanted to press into the fact that two of the people who knew me really well were questioning what could look like, cool, Corey's going on an Australian adventure for a year, and they're saying, why are you doing it? Mm. Um, And as that juxtaposed with the desires of my heart for community, what I recognized was it was a bad move. Um, It wasn't a move that's in line with what my heart wanted. Mm. What my heart wants was 
was and is community to be a known character in a community to love serve and be a part of a community in a deep incarnational way and that does not look like bouncing around the world for a year Hmm. and as i imagined what it would look like to live in australia for a year i kept thinking i'm going to be creating relationships with expiration dates Hmm. i'm going to be making friends there and i know that i'm going to be leaving in six to twelve months and Hmm. that just doesn't provide the foundation for great community right It'd be different if I were going there and saying, I don't know when I'm going to be coming home. Yeah. You know, I, I call it throwing the rock farther than you can see it. You know, setting the destination out somewhere where you don't know. Yeah. But I, when I told myself, all right, I'm going to I'm gonna go to Australia on my vacation for 10 days and then I'm going to come home and I'm not going to follow through on my plans to move there. I was like, if I'm going to make that decision, that's a hard choice because I really want to go. Um, it better be worth it. Hmm. And I was like, what, what am I going to do to make it worth it? And for the first time... In five years, I was like, I'm going to move somewhere and I'm not going to let what my job situation looks like dictate me moving. I'm going to move somewhere to move into that community. And then I'm going to find a job to support the life that I want to live. Right. So that's what happened. I was working at a marketing firm downtown. I was a senior project manager. I was working 60, 70, 80 hours a week Mm. um, and moved (laughs) from North County down here to the house that I live in now with some amazing dudes. Uh, It was just a connection through some friends that I found this super sweet home um, and stayed at the marketing firm for another couple months after I moved and eventually realized this is definitely not what I want. Get me out of the marketing world. <laughs> uh, so I quit my job and um, the rest is history. You know, since then I, the way I look at it is for a long time I was putting community and vocation or job, really money next to each other. Hmm. You know, like they had, they were, ha- they had equal importance. Like, yeah. Because people always say, like, you need money. Like, right? People always (laughs) say, that's the world. You need money. I'm like, yeah, you need money. But what would it look like to put your dreams for your faith and the way you want to express your faith and say money is going to be included in that? It's not going to come before it. Mm. And quitting my job at the marketing firm was that was me saying that to myself. Yeah. Uh, I sold my car. We live in a walkable town. And I've been always been the guy with the big car who drives everybody everywhere. It was a total identity thing for me. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to sell my car. I don't need it. I'm wow. here to like implant in this town and get to know this city. That was probably one of the best decisions that I feel like I've made in the past year and a half, two years. Because just walking the town, I got to know it really well. Yeah. Um, I totally envy you, you know, of having this yeah. place and, and being able to just walk and get to know yeah. people. Yeah, we'll move here. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm riding my Harley in, and I hear you guys talking about, you know, the school and kids and stuff. Because I have two kids, you know, I young know. kids. And I'm I'm riding in, and, you know, I'm coming in at school's letting out time. Normally, I'm here. It's either later or earlier in the day. Yeah. There's moms and kids and dads even all over this place. It's ridiculous. Like, yeah. I don't think of OB as a place that's, like, super family-oriented, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, like... I was so surprised coming into this place and it's yeah, it, it just like probably, you know, uh, Carter and I have had this conversation too about just reading all of these books and now he's being able to like live like what he's been reading about. Yeah. And I'm kind of in that same boat too. A lot of the people that I like, I mean, I came down here for the Michael Frost thing, you know, yeah. and it's like, these are the people that I really feel like, man, like I get it, but it's, it's so weird. Like there's, I feel like there's. I feel double-minded sometimes mm. um, in a lot of ways because there is 
so much about this incarnational, missional, um, you know, just be in one place and get to know people. And I was having this conversation with a friend on my last podcast about, you know, just showing empathy and being a really good friend, like kind of is the basis of ministry, you know, in a lot of ways. Totally. And, and so there is that part of me that just simply wants to do that. But then, uh, and what we, we, I would like to talk about, maybe we, this is another podcast. I'm not sure. We'll have to see. Uh, but the Enneagram, like my personality type and who I am hmm. the, on the flip side of that, I'm very, I'm the, in the Enneagram world, the achiever, you know, I like to make things happen. A lot of actually senior pastors and church planters I found are, th- are yeah. threes like yeah. me. And so I find myself really caught heart and mind of like, I really want to do this. I really want to implant in a place and just be the town guy. But then there's this other part of me is like, I want to like create something big. I want to make a big movement happen. I want to, you know, all of these like really monumental achievement things. So I find myself just being honest right now, just really in a foot in both worlds of like, I, there's a lot of the things that I get, you know, whenever I, I listen to people online or whatever that are um, maybe like me, more driven, goal-oriented in some ways, but then on the flip side. So I'm like, I don't know. It's hard because yeah. I don't know. Like, then I ask myself the question, do I like the idea of this? I think for some of our listeners too, I'm guilty of this and maybe people are as well. We really like the idea of it. We can see it biblically, but the reality, whether it be personality or fear, or maybe we're not in an awesome place like OB or things are actually walking like San Marcos, you know, is yeah. not that way. Yeah. What For whatever reason, it's like, well, that can't actually be a reality because. And so I don't mm. know, maybe you can help me sort through some of that, you know? Well, look, I have wanderlust with the best of them. I mean, we live in the flight path in OB. So not a day goes by where there are planes flying overhead that I look up and I'll, I'll tell my girlfriend and point out, I want to be on that plane. I don't yeah. even care where it's going. Yeah. Not yeah. because I want to leave town, but because it's just, I, I think that's in a lot of people, Yeah, you know, is that just desire to travel and to see big things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I was so thoroughly enjoyed the times in my life when I was able to, in essence, perform for people and, yeah. and see the, the pin on the map move in yeah. a big way. Yes. Um, and I think that what it takes is a complete reframing of what it means to live hmm. and why we're alive. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that it's easy and it doesn't mean that it's going to make sense. In fact, it's not going to. And it doesn't mean that there, you know, if you, if, if one chooses to make a decision to invest locally, um, <laughs> you're going to spend a decent, people will spend a decent amount of time wondering what the hell they're doing and is it even worth it? Um, because it's not the same as any other way of doing life. Yeah. And it's not a lifestyle that gives a lot of immediate satisfaction. It's Mm -hmm. just not. (laughs) Right. It's, it's, so how do you reconcile some of that? For me, it's been, uh, setting the purpose so clearly that I just keep going. Mm. Um, and when I reflect on what the past two years have been, my time here, that's when I'm able to see what it's going to be like to spend another 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. Um, 
it's 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 different than other styles of quote unquote ministry. You know, you show up on a Sunday and you're able to say X people came, X people raised their hands, mm-hmm. X money was raised. Um, there, you know, you get that high every week of right. like, cool, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, that's not how this works. This is. <laughs> This is just everyday life. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you might, sometimes we throw events here in the SJC to kind of love the town and five people show up. And, you know, my my friends are people in OB in this movement often struggle with this of like, are we doing the right thing? And I just keep saying, guys, we're not about numbers. We're about lives. Mm -hmm. Like we're about this town and the people who live here. We're about staying in this town. Um it's, it's not even about like, it, it changes what it looks like to be the pastor who works at the Starbucks because you kind of have your eye, you know, works like you go sit down and maybe write your sermon or something in a coffee shop because right. you want to be a known character um, where everybody in the, in the coffee shop is like a potential church invitee. Yeah, yeah. Right? And like yeah. that's kind of the lens. These days for me, like being a known character in town or working out of a coffee shop or whatever it might be, I don't feel like I need to put the pressure on myself of like having interactions with people that like directly show the love of God or like proselytizing them. Like Mm -hmm. I think what love can look like in an investment in the town is simply just acknowledging with the person that you see there periodically that you know each other. Mm. You know what I mean? Even just with a glance. Yeah. Because we're missing that. Yeah. We're missing that. I think in our society and I think systemically there are a lot of things that can be addressed down this movement. I mean, we could talk about it for hours, but I think that it's, it's giving yourself credit for what it looks like to live simply and incarnationally in a place. And it's not about getting people to say a prayer or come to Jesus or come to your events or any of that. It's, it's about setting a purpose that you feel is, the right one for you and living it out on a daily basis, giving yourself permission to fail, giving grace and opportunity to intercede in the moments when you feel like you are failing and seeing that it's about the long game. You know, it's about being here for a while and it's about being a face that somebody sees often and then eventually might feel comfortable coming up to and saying, Hey, you know, this and that, like, what do you know about the town? Like that's, that's, I think, what this movement is about, and I think that it's that style of life and ministry that can start to taste a lot like, I think, the essence of what God has for the world. Yeah. Um, I think just bring, what that does is, too, it brings a lot of things. It brings humans to mm. be humans with each other, too. You know? Yeah. I mean, it really puts a lot of flesh on things. Uh, something that I was thinking about and even was questioned on, because... I use a lot of that similar language and about wanting to do things. And then people say, I heard people, you know, who, who is they, uh, we won't say, but, uh, you know, everybody else uses the vague, those people out there, but they say, you know, well, what about the great commission? What about making Mm. disciples of all nations? And my response is, I think it's the paradigm of, well, we need to define some of these things that we're talking about and not just let, you know, our really recent tradition define that for us. Um, but I'm curious some of your response to that. Cause I'm sure that, you know, I mean, OB is a really cool place. I'm sure you have really excited threes like myself wanting to church plant around here. And how do you, 
have these conversations with people and not let, you know, somebody come in that's really excited, even maybe, I hate to use this word, but ruin maybe some of this stuff that you, you've yeah. done, you know, yeah. I mean, how do you, how does all that come to come together and where do you see the missional part of this? Like, you know, when people ask you those questions, I mean, sure, we need to make some definitions, but what do you really see? Like, what is this win for this in your own words, you know, this, this way of incarnational living, what's the win for it? I think for churches, the win is at least where I come from is they come to church and they continue to come to your church and they tithe and whatever. But yeah. like, obviously that's not what we're looking at here. So like really what's a win for you being here in ocean beach? You yeah. Know? So I hate to answer a question with a question, but <laughs> what, why do we need to assess a win? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, and that's, that's super valid. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of what's what I've from I mean kind of going back to your making disciples of all the nations point the the theological side of this. Yeah. I mean, we can use scripture to argue almost <laughs> any stance of anything. Yes. And Absolutely. that's, that, that's, I mean, an entirely different podcast. About right. The, the narrow path is always scripture. the one that the person is on, you know, right. Coincidentally. Right, <laughs> right. We're always right. Um, so there's that, and I'm, I'm not interested in throwing scripture out, but right. I mean, I think that we need to, anyways, like I said, that's a different conversation, sure, but sure. my, my convictions about kind of what, what we have as far as tools like the Bible to live our faith out of is if we're asking a question about what scripture says about a particular thing, my question is, why are we asking that? Right. Why do we need to know what scripture says about that thing? And generally speaking, the response that you'll get from people has a lot to do with fear and control. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's because we need to know that we're doing the right thing. God never tells us that we get to know that we're doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> Where do people get this idea that we're supposed to have this validation? I think it's insane. It's more cultural. It's oh, it's one hundred percent cultural. It's it's what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. What it means to be human is we want things to make sense logically on paper. A plus B equals C. We need everything to fit into an equation. And because we look for validation by looking left and looking right at what other people are doing, we've found ourselves in the place that we are now. Right. Whereas if we can't measure it, it's definitely not a way that we should be living. Yeah. And we've we've somehow the church has managed. Um, and I think maybe thanks to some of our Catholic roots, like, and, and on from there, not to just blame the Catholics, um, the church has managed to create this view of God and of church and of life where we've merged what it means to be human with our view of God in such a way that we're living out of our humanity, but it looks and tastes like God. Hmm. And I just don't think that it is God. Hmm. And it's... The crazy thing about that is that that dynamic, that paradigm, that posture of living, and when we go back to how does maybe an achiever, how, how does someone who, who desires big achievements live this way? Mm-hmm. It's by completely negating that posture mm-hmm. and pressing into a new posture of who God is. Right. And. Yeah. Hmm. For our pals in OB and some of my pals in the greater movement, the movement of living incarnationally and living in place and finding a new way to express faith is really paired with the movement of reimagining who our God is. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's because I think that the attractional church has ruined people's idea of God. Yeah. 
And I think that it's set God up to be, you know, we get taught like love is not a transaction, right? It's mm-hmm. not like a give and take thing. And then the church sets love up like a transaction. Yeah. So it's all this like very confusing theology and doctrine for people of the church teaching one thing about what it looks like to engage in God and then wholly embodying the opposite way of being. Walking and speaking oh, in two so different confusing, directions. So confusing, right? Yes. I mean, and because people have been sitting in that world for so long, people think that's just how it is. Yeah. And the amount of time that I spend having conversations, having to deconstruct people's view of God is like half of what I spend my time doing. Yeah. And then you go through this process of people feeling like you're ripping their like, foundation from them which is what's happening right you know and then because we've taught each other hey foundations are a part of life foundations that you understand foundations with equations foundations that are predictable foundations that make you feel secure that make you feel in control that make you feel successful these are things that we should do in the when when we're setting up our life Mm -hmm. this movement of of life at its core just rejects all of that right and says you can't live out of a posture of fear. You can't live out of a posture of desired security. You can't live out of a, out of a posture of wanting people to see you as successful. You can't do those things, mm-hmm. and you can't merge them. Yeah, you it it, it won't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and that goes back to to what it looks like to to see God in a brand new way. And I think that I think that 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 re-imaging of God and re-understanding of who Jesus is and who he was and the way that that affects the way we live today, I think is rocking like our evangelical world right now in a really slow way. Yeah. But because it's stripping people of their security, um, it's going to be a slow movement. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I often relate back to, you know, the 95 theses and Martin Luther branching out of Catholicism into the very beginnings of the Protestant movement. Um, and I think we might be in another time s- similar to that. wholeheartedly agree. You know, and agree. it's kind of the folks that are swimming around on these issues behind the scenes and practicing it in raw and gritty ways in their communities right now. We don't, we haven't boiled it down to 95 theses yet to post right. on the church door, but I think it's coming. Yeah. And I think that there's a movement of reimagining church and God at the same time, because you got to reimagine both. Yeah. Um, I think it's coming. And for those who are open to it and are, are willing to let go of some of the things that they've been holding on to, I think that it's going to cause life to be really rad Mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. And ultimately the reason why we would want life to be rad is so that we can share and reflect God's love to others, not yeah. for us. Yeah. Um, Cause that is then seeing that and living that is the fullness of it what is it the means. Fullness of what it means. You know? Yeah, totally. It's exciting. Yeah. It's a good time. I, I'm like I said before, I mean, I know that I'm supposed to be in San Diego for a reason right now. And I know mm. that there is uh, you know, a reason for the, the season of, waiting what it feels like in a lot of ways uh but i just having these conversations and being with people like yourself it just it really gives me hope for uh the embracing of unknown right now and just really riding the wave of yeah of what is you know so um 
And there's we, support in that space. Yeah, yeah. That's the nice thing. You know, you found a place where at least in the greater region of where you live, like there's people who are willing to walk it with you. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yourself and, and a lot of our friends here that, you yeah. know, that I've met sitting here at the Spiritual Journey Center. And so yeah, I think good. if you could, uh, you know, as we just wrap up here, I think it'd be cool if you could just leave people with just one brief thing of how they can begin to reimagine God. What would that one thing be to leave people with to begin to shift their mind? Uh, I would encourage people, if you're interested in that, to go read Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. I think it's a great text on what it looks like to reimagine God. Um, And if you're not interested in reading a thick book by Richard Rohr, uh, (laughs) I think that another way to, and maybe this is a lot, but it's it's helpful and I think it's healthy. Another way to start reimagining God is to catch yourself making decisions that have God in them and saying, you know, I think God would want it this way, or the Bible says to do it like this. Give yourself permission to question that mm, yeah. and become aware of why you do the things that you do. Mm. And e- even if it's just one simple decision, like something that has to do with money or your family or a relationship or where you're choosing to live or how you choose to spend your time, like just pick one. And it can be really scary <laughs> to like dive back into why you do what you do and be really honest about it. And it's helpful to do it with a friend or somebody that knows you and just track that all the way back. Why do you do what you do? Mm. Um, And how, how does God play into that? And then give yourself permission and give the spirit permission to maybe inform that in a new way. Mm. It's a good practice to go through. And I think that, that God can use the space that you might create in an exercise like that. Yeah. The embracing of uh, what might be scary, you know. Mm, It's sure to be scary. Yeah. Corey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Doing some more and talking about some more uh, fun topics. We'll just leave it with that. Leave it there. Very good. Thank you, my friend.